Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, this is our last installment in our Hebrews chapter 11 series. We've been going through this summer talking about how to step deeper into faith and uh, excited to kind of bring it all to a close here, put a ribbon, a bow on the end of it here. And uh, we're going to do that with the last couple of verses. So 32 through 40, Hebrews 11 verses 32 through 40 is where we're going to spend, start off this morning. And then we're also going to wrap back and grab verses 13 through 16. And if you remember from earlier in the summer, we actually kind of skipped over those because they tie in so well to these last couple of verses. I want to just do them all together today, okay? So that's where we're going to be at this morning. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> As we look at how God is eternal. Um, and so I want to start off with this, this kind of phrase, this idiom I'm sure you've heard before. The best is yet to come. You've heard that saying before, right? Uh, when you hear that, the best is yet to come. What comes to your mind? What do you think about? Like maybe you think about like the, the big graduation speech right at the end and they're all like, all right, the best is yet to come and you're going to go out and you're going to get this career and you're going to have this great life and you're going to have this, and you're kind of, you know, like hyping up them for everything that's coming ahead. Um, maybe for you, if you're from a different uh, generation, older generation, maybe you think that old Sinatra song where he's singing that the best is yet to come in his future relationship with unsaid woman, um, but you know, he's looking forward to something relationally there that's going to be coming up, uh, or maybe for you it's just an inspirational quote on your gym wall, or maybe on your IG feed, or whatever that looks like, it's just like, okay, yeah, like there's, there's more out there, or, or maybe you hear that in your head when the, new, when the new season, the new year comes around, right, like January 1st, or maybe the new school year, and you're like, all right, we're going into a new season, we're going into a new year now, the best is yet to come, there's more. There's more out there. There's, there's more that this life has to offer, and I'm going to go out, and I'm going to get all of that this year. Like, this is, it's going to be better. It's going to be stronger. It's going to be, it's going to be the year. A artist that I listen to sometimes called Ben Rector, he has a song by this title that actually grasps that idea when he writes these lyrics. He says, so raise up your glass. Here's to brand new beginnings. And leave in the past all the things that are ending, because tomorrow will bring us a new morning sun. My friends, I believe that the best is yet to come. And in all those scenarios, it sounds so good. Right? Like it, like that, the sentiment sounds so encouraging and uplifting, like, yes, there's better things coming. But here's the problem with all those scenarios that I just laid out. In every one of those situations, they're looking for the next best thing in this life. The best thing that they're striving for, that they're reaching for, they're thinking that it's coming now in this world, in this life. Like It's going to be something we can get a hold of while we're here on this earth. But the Bible has a completely different take on that idea and on that phrase. You see, according to the Bible, it points us beyond this life for the best things that are yet to come. And that's what we're going to see here as he kind of brings this idea of deeper faith in Hebrews 11 to a close, is that deeper faith believes that the best is yet to come in eternity. Not here, not now. There are some great things in life, there are some great things in the world, and those aren't bad, and it's, it's not bad to enjoy those things, like, but they're not the best. They're not the best things. The best things are yet to come in eternity, and when we keep that in mind, we live differently as we're going to see from these final couple of verses of Hebrews this morning. So, go with me to verse 32, and it starts off like this. He says, and what more shall I say? Right? He's like, I've already taken you through this long list of people. What else am I going to say? For time would fail me to tell of, and he's going to go into this big, long, another long list of more people. 
of faith and more examples of faith. And what he's doing here is he's, as he's coming to the end of his chapter, he's coming to the end of his, his story, he's saying, listen, this list could go on forever. Right? Like, I do not have enough time and breath to tell you of all the people who have walked with God in faith and seen him do miraculous things in and through their lives. And he's almost, he's actually, just even beyond that, he's exhorting us, he's encouraging us, like, listen, if you have faith in the Lord like this, your name can be added to the list. Like, you, it doesn't have to stop with just these guys. Like, you can be on the list of God's faithful people if your deeper faith indeed is in him. And so it kind of pushes us to this first point this morning, that faith looks beyond this life. Faith looks beyond this life. That's what gets us to this place. And so let's look at that again in verse, pick up in verse 32. I'm going to keep reading this time. For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. For through faith, I'm sorry, who, faith, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Women even received back their dead by resurrection. And then he kind of flips it a little bit. He says, but some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Verse 39, and all these, all these that we've listed, all throughout Hebrews chapter 11, every name, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So as we look at these kind of final verses, it kind of feels like it kind of goes all over the place a little bit, but there is a common idea that he's tracing here, okay? He provides this long list of faithful people and examples throughout the history of God's people to show us, again, that this is an endless list, which means it can include us as well, and he's exhorting us, like, add yourself to the list through deeper faith. But the first half of the list, if you'll notice, it highlights all these great successes of the faith. Did you catch that, right? Like he's like Gideon and David and Samuel, and he has all these, and he lists all these different things like the lion's mouths and the whole deal. And then halfway through, he flips it and he recognizes, hey, there's also sometimes suffering that comes from walking in deeper faith. It doesn't always, it's not always roses. It's not always all the victories that we see. Sometimes there's some suffering that we have to endure to continue walking deeper in faith with the Lord. And he kind of lays out that list. But his point is that both of these, through faith, whether it be successes or suffering, both of them through faith are walking deeper with the Lord. And they have been honored by the Lord. But he has this contrast there, I think it's in verse 38, where he says, of whom the world was not worthy. That these people, as they were walking with the Lord, as they were walking in faith, they were doing all these great things, and some of them were suffering. 
But the world was not worthy of them because they opposed them. Because they rejected them in their faith. They attacked God's people, showing that they didn't believe, they didn't have faith in the Lord. And so therefore they're not worthy of God's people nor of the Lord himself. And although they were rejected by the world, the people of faith, as they often are, although rejected by the world, they were commended, verse 39, commended by God through faith. I think that's an important banner over the lives of the faithful because sometimes you're walking faithful with the Lord through suffering and it doesn't feel like you're commended. It doesn't feel like God's favor or love is on you. It's like, if, I wouldn't be going through this, God, if you were with me, but he is. And even through that, if you're walking in faith through the suffering, his commendation, his love for you, his blessing on you is still there despite the outcome of your life. And so by walking through success and suffering, they show themselves worthy of the Lord. Not worthy of this world. The world was not worthy of them, but worthy of the Lord, worthy of his kingdom. And that's why in verse 39 it says he, they were commended. But then notice this. It does acknowledge something that's important. They were commended, but they did not receive what was promised. In this life, they did not receive from God what was promised. And this right here is the tie back to verse 13. I told you it's connected to 13 through 16. Look at verse 13 now for a second. It says the same thing almost. It says, all of these, all these people that he's been talking about have died in faith, not having received the things promised. Now, at first, that seems wrong, right? That seems unfair. Like, God promised these things, and these people were faithful, and they still didn't get them. Like, if that's how it rolls, then it just seems all hopeless. Like, why are we even doing this? But verse 40 teaches us otherwise. It says, they did not receive the things promised in this life because God provided something better. Something better than just worldly promises. Sure, the promise of the the promised land and the promised son and the promised nation and all of that, that was all great. But there was something better that was coming. God God was saving the best for yet to come. And you see, God's promises to his people then and now are always better and are always more than anything that this world has to offer. You can't get God's best in this world because this world doesn't have it. It's so much better and so much bigger and so much beyond anything this world can offer that the best can't happen in this life. And so the better promise here that Hebrews is referencing was fulfilled through the person and through the work of Jesus Christ. Right? It's pointing forward to what we now call the gospel. That all of us, just like the people in this, in this chapter, all of us are sinners. We all have hearts of sin. We all rebel against God. We do our own thing. We disobey his word. And because of our sin, we deserve his wrath. He's a holy God. He has every right and would be fully justified to punish us, send us to hell, give us all of that. Because we've rebelled against the God of the universe. But out of his grace and his love for us, instead, he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to come and to be born as a man, 
to live a perfect and sinless life on this earth to go to the cross and die a sinner's death. To sacrifice himself. To give up his perfect life to pay for our sinful lives. To take the debt that we owed and to pay it in full through his death. And he died on the cross and he was buried in the grave. And three days later he rose back to life proving that he had conquered sin and death. He, had, he, he was God and he offers us salvation. To be saved from all of that wrath and all of that death and all of that sin if we will turn away from our sin and trust in Jesus alone. Because only through the perfect blood of Jesus Christ can we be made perfect before God. Which is what verse 40 says. That they could not be made perfect without us because we're all made perfect through the same blood of Jesus Christ. This is so key to the Old Testament. Understand the Old Testament saints. They were saved by the same person that we're saved by. They had faith that one day God would send someone to die for them and to make a way for them to be saved. We believe that it's already happened and we're blessed to live on this side of the fulfillment of the gospel. And now we get to live in victory knowing that all we're waiting for is for him to come back and take us home. But we are all saved. That's what verse 40 is saying. We are all made perfect. We were all saved by the same God, by the same Savior through Jesus Christ. And if you will turn from your sin and put your faith in him, you're in that group too. And so these people in Hebrews 11 here, they died hoping for that future fulfillment. They died with this promise that they knew it was worth waiting for in faith. They didn't get to see it in this life. They didn't get to taste it. They didn't get to have it now. But they knew it was so good, it was so worth it, that they were willing to die and wait for it to come in the future. Still following the Lord because they wanted that more than anything this world had to offer. We see more of this in that section 13 through 16, so let's go there now. Again, verse 13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Now, there's a couple of phrases in this little section here that is so helpful and so descriptive of what it looks like to live in light of that coming promise. He says that they, they didn't get to have it, but they got to see it, right? They saw it, and we know they didn't see it with physical eyes, right? They didn't see Jesus in the, fit, in the flesh. He wasn't here yet. They saw it through spiritual eyes, through the eyes of faith, which takes us back to Hebrews 11, verse 1, the very beginning of this chapter the very beginning of the series, we talked about this phrase that it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things, what? Not seen. They didn't see it yet with physical eyes. They saw it with spiritual eyes. They saw it with faith, believing that one day it would come. Even if it wasn't in this life. And that's why it says that they greeted them from afar. The word greeted there means like welcome, like to anticipate, like it, it's coming, like I, I can see it, it's not here yet, it's still over there, but it's coming, and I, and I can't wait for it to get here, or I can't wait to get there, like you're welcoming it, you're, you're anticipating what's coming. When Courtney and I, when we first went into ministry, we were out in Indiana uh, for a number of years serving in a church out there, but we would come back home to St. Louis to Missouri a couple times a year for holidays and stuff to see family, and every time we would be driving home, We'd be driving across Illinois, which if you've done that, you know is like 
poke me in the eye, all right? But like you, you finally get across the state, and then as you're approaching the, the state line, all of a sudden the arch would kind of pop up over the horizon. And we would see, we'd be like, there it is. We're almost home. We weren't, we weren't there yet, but we saw it from afar, and we greeted it. Like, we're almost there. We were anticipating, like, God's going to, we're almost home. That's what these people had. They didn't have it yet, but they greeted it from afar. Like, we're almost there. Like, just on the other side of death, we're going to be home with the Lord. And it says they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. The word strangers, exiles, there could also be sojourner or alien. All those are kind of synonymous here. And it's the idea of that you're not a citizen. Like this isn't your home. And because you're not a citizen of this world, you don't have any rights here. <laughs> or like you don't deserve anything here. Like you're not part of this group. And they, they recognize, like, hey, we're not citizens here. This is just our temporary place. We're just passing through, if you will. And because they understood that this was not their home, that their home was still to come, they lived different. Their main focus was not the here and now. Their main focus was not the, the promised land, although that was great. It wasn't the promised son. It wasn't the promised nation. All that was fine, but that wasn't the main thing. The main focus was always the Lord and their future home with him. That's where they were looking. And they knew that one day they would reach it through faith. And that's why it says, right there in verse 14, it says, for, the word for is important, that's a transition word, it's connecting, all right? Because they knew they were aliens, because they saw it from afar, because they anticipated and longed to be with the Lord, for those reasons, they were seeking a homeland. They were okay with living as aliens here, because they were looking for the better land, the better homeland that was yet to come. They were citizens of God's eternal kingdom, and that changed how they lived. They chose to live lives that pointed beyond this world and beyond this life. As I was working through this this week, I was trying to think, like, how can we, like, apply this in a way? How can we think about this in a way that's really helpful to us in, in today? And, you know, there's, there's a strand of Christian teaching in our world today that talks a lot about faith, but completely misses the biblical meaning of faith. And here's what I mean by that. It teaches that faith is the pathway to all good things in this life. Right? If you just have enough faith, if you just believe in God, then you're going to have good health, you're going to be wealthy, you're going to have all the success. Like, if you just have enough faith, God will bless you with all that this world has to offer. That's the teaching. And it's, it's a very... It's become very popular in certain circles, and, and lots of preachers, evangelists, teachers, they t they've touted this, they've taught this for years because it feeds the sinful craving of the human heart. It works because inside of us there's always something that wants more of this world. And when you tell people, like, hey, you can follow God and get more of this world, they're like, Psh, bonus, right? And so people just flock to that. And so it sells books, and it sells tickets to conferences, and it creates huge followings, and all this kind of stuff. But it's been interesting to me, in the, just in the last couple months, I don't know if you've seen this, but just recently, two long-time preachers of this type of teaching have come out, Benny Hinn and Creflo Dollar, 
have both said that, they, that they've renounced this teaching as unbiblical and said that, this, that, that they've been wrong all these years. Now, I, I don't know what fruit that confession is going to bring. Like, we'll see, right? And I, I hope it does. I, I pray and I, I plead that God has opened their eyes to the truth of what we're seeing right here in Hebrews, that that's not what faith is about. So they might lead others to that same conclusion. But here's the key. These examples in Hebrews, they show us that true faith isn't focused on this world at all. It's not about this world or anything in it. They show us that true faith is interested primarily not in what I can get from God, but in God, in Him, in His presence, in His mission, in His kingdom. To long for worldly gain completely misses the heart of faith, which is a longing for God Himself. Because true faith looks for a greater reward in eternity, not here. Deeper faith means my heart is not satisfied by this life, but longs for the next. Deeper faith means that my heart is never satisfied by what this world has to offer. They're not, they're not all bad things. Don't, don't mishear me this morning. I'm not saying, like, go hold yourself up in a basement somewhere with food and canned goods, or water and canned goods, and, like, I'm not saying, the, like, the world is all, like, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just, like, it's not, it's not the end-all, be-all. This isn't why we're here. This isn't what we're living for. It's temporary. It's just to get us to the better place. Secondly, this morning, look at verse 14 again. He says, For people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. Now, this is so important right here, I think, that, that sometimes we miss this. But faith also means that faith leaves behind the old life. It's not just always about looking forward. That's good. But also it's about leaving behind. It's about walking away. It's about rejecting what used to be. The things of this world. It says here that they were, again, they were seeking a homeland. When it says a homeland, it's talking about just a, a place to belong. Right? A place to identify. Like, yes, this is our people. This is our home. A place to love and a place to invest and all those kind of things. Everyone's looking for that. Everyone's looking for home. It says here that if they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have an opportunity to return. Now he's, he's talking specifically here, he's using kind of his illustration, Abraham and his family. So let me kind of review for just a moment. Back at the beginning of the series, we talked about that when God called Abraham to follow him, he called him out of Ur of Chaldees, right? That he'd go like, leave your homeland, follow me, we're going to go to a new place. And so he's using that kind of here as an as a illustration, but he's not talking about just the physical land, Right? That old land, Ur of Chaldees, it represented not just the land, but their old lives. Their old sinful lives where they were worshiping false gods, and they were, they were sinning, and they were following other things and idols in their lives. And when it says if they would have been thinking of that land, the word thinking there is more like remembering or reminiscing, longing for, like the way you might long for the good old days, Right? Or reminisce about that old flame. They're like, what, what would that relationship would have been like? Right? Like that, that kind of thinking 
is what it's talking about here. If they, would have, if they would have been longing for and thinking about those old lives, then they would have shown that their hearts were actually still at home in their old lives. Meaning that they never really had faith in God in the first place. You see, it's, it's all about where are you at home spiritually. Is your heart at home spiritually still in that old life? Are you, are you still longing for that sin? Are you still longing to go back to those days and you're just playing the part? Or has, does your heart long for God and long for His ways? And are you at home spiritually with Him in the new life? If they would have been seeking their old homeland, they would have shown that they never had true faith in Him to start with. Because their heart never changed homelands. So again, I was thinking, like, how do, we, how do I pull this into today for you all? And so I, I want to just, by God's providence, honestly, I want to talk to you for a moment here about this. this. There's a growing conversation in recent years in evangelical circles about deconstructing faith or reframing faith. And I don't know if you've heard a lot about that or not. I've, honestly, I've, I've just had in the last couple of weeks several people in our church come and ask me different questions about this. And in God's providence, he already had us lined up to go through this passage. And I was just like, all right, I guess we're going to, I guess we're doing this. All right. So, um, and it speaks directly to this issue of deconstruction or deconstructing faith. And there's, there's lots of different ideas. There's lots of different things that are kind of included in that realm. But here's kind of the best definition I could kind of come up with. If you're not familiar, this kind of bring you up to speed of what we're talking about. Deconstruction is the practice where people rethink their faith and spiritual authority to jettison previously held beliefs and often renounce the faith altogether. So it's going back and like, is this really true? Is this true? Is God really God? Is the Bible really God's word? Like, just kind of like reassessing all of those things and and finding to basically like reject different parts of their traditional faith or Christianity in various ways. And so this has gotten even more attention, I think, recently because there have been several like well-known evangelical leaders who have said that they are deconstructing their faith or coming out against that. Just some examples would be like Marty Sampson. He was a a Hillsong worship leader and songwriter for years who walked away from the church in this way. Abraham Piper, John Piper's son, who was one of their like bloggers, writers for their ministry for a long time. Um, For those those of us who maybe been around the church a little bit longer, uh, DC Talk member, uh, Kevin Max recently, or Kevin Mack rather recently, or Max, Mack, Max, uh, whatever. Uh, he recently walked away from uh, all of this as well. Uh, Rachel Held Evans, uh, even a popular Christian author, blogger, right now, uh, has several different areas of the faith where she talks about deconstructing these things. And uh, most recently, Joshua Harris, uh, a well-known author from you know the last 10, 20 years in the Christian circles, and a, a pastor up in the Northeast, all of these, like, they've come out with these ideas, like, like we're, not, we're not on that team anymore, right? Like, we're, we're, we don't believe those things, we don't think, and they have all this, in fact, I saw just this week that Joshua Harris, he's actually come out with a, a course now, he's offering an online course that people can take um, that he says helps them to, um, to reframe their story and faith journey away from Christ and away from the Bible, um, and so this is kind of the, the mentality there, but, but this re, here's, and here's how it ties into Scripture, okay? That's all just kind of backdrop, but here's how it ties into Scripture. 
this reframing of their faith that these people are oftentimes talking about, when you really dig into it, it's really just them coming to grips with the reality and just being honest with themselves that their heart never really matched their head or their actions when it came to faith. They thought some things and they did some things, but their heart was never really there. And they're finally coming to grips with that and being honest about that. And a lot of these people, they, they've, been in the, they've been in the church game for a long time, right? Some of them have profited greatly from being a part of the church in various ways. But what they're showing is that their faith was never really in the Lord. They might have had faith, but it wasn't in the Lord, and that eventually came to the surface. Their faith was in some other spiritual leader or a church or a platform or a spiritual commodity or a, re- a spiritual reward They were chasing after something related to faith, but their faith was not in God himself. Because what we see over and over again in Scripture is if your faith is truly in God, if you've truly had that heart change and your heart is at home with the Lord, you've tasted his goodness, you've tasted his grace, you've tasted the gospel in your life, you never, you never would walk away from that. Because your heart has changed homelands. And just so that you know, I'm just not like, this isn't Pastor Micah's opinion this morning. I want to give you kind of just a list of verses here. This isn't even all-inclusive of what the Bible says on this, but I'm going to give you several. I think this is an important topic right now. I want you to see what the Bible says about this. So let's start with John 10, 28. Jesus himself says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. He's like, I'm the one who does the saving. I've got you. You're not going anywhere. Number two, Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That God is the one who's doing the work in us. He's the one saving us. He's the one sanctifying us through faith. And he will finish what he started. Number three, 1 John 3.9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. You see, when you get saved, when when God does a a transformation in your heart and in your life, this isn't just like you're putting away some old things and you're doing some good things now. You are completely reborn. God's seed is in you, and you have a new birth in God, and you can't go back on that. That doesn't go away. You can't be unborn of God. Ephesians 4.30 And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When you get saved and the Holy Spirit comes and indwells in you, the Bible says that He seals you, he, He saves you to the uttermost so that you will make it all the way to the end with faith in the one who does the saving. Romans 11.29 For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Jude 124. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Our God is able to keep you from stumbling from walking away, from losing faith, to present you blameless before his throne. 
And then as a contrast, 1 John 2.19. John says, they went out from us. Some people who were in the church at one point, some people who claimed to be followers of Jesus, he says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all that they all are not of us. Yes, this happens in the church. But this should not rewrite our theology. We should never rewrite our doctrine, our understanding of God and who he is based on other people's experiences. Only God's word has the authority to tell us what is true. And God says, if you leave, then that just means your heart was never really home with me. So according to God's word, we want to seek a homeland with the Lord. Not with our old life, not with sin, not with those other things. We want to seek a homeland with God, just like Abraham and his family did. That's why I said that they could have went back to the old land, but they didn't. They were seeking a homeland that was not of this world. And seeking there is important too because it means like diligently seeking. Like not passively, not just kind of laying back and waiting for God to do his thing and just kind of coasting along and be like diligently seeking, eyes fixed on the prize, chasing after the Lord, looking to the eternal kingdom, leaving behind the old life, the old worship, the old sin. And I think this teaches us a, an extremely important spiritual principle here, that every person in the church needs to assess your heart on this issue right here. What we seek reveals the true home of our heart. This is the litmus test. This is how you know. Are you really saved? Have you really become a follower of Jesus Christ? What does your heart seek? If your heart is continually seeking the things of this world, then that reveals that your home isn't with the Lord yet. But if your heart is seeking Him, if your heart is seeking more of His Word, more of His church, more of His people, more of His presence, if you're seeking, then you know. Faith is real. And it, this plays itself out in the church in two ways. I want to just give these to you real quick, and then we'll move on to the last point. Two ways I see this play itself out in the church. Number one, first you have those in the church who are continually seeking their old life. They come to church for some spiritual benefits, for some social, emotional, relational benefits. Like they come around, they stick around the church but the majority of their time, the majority of their days, the majority of their life is spent still seeking and wanting that old life back. And that shows that they have dead faith. If that's you, the Bible calls that dead faith. Because what you profess with your mouth shows no evidence in your life. And that's not saving faith. Your, your heart hasn't switched homeland yet. So that's one way. The second way, that's maybe a little bit even harder to spot sometimes, because these, these, sometimes, I'm telling you, man, these church people, they can dress it up, right? Like they can make it look good on the outside and hide their stuff. The second way this plays out for us in the church is those who are like, yes, they're truly seeking God, they're true, they, they want that eternal reward, 
but with stipulations. Right? They'll say things like, yeah, I want God, I want to go to heaven, but not until fill in the blank. Dot, dot, dot. Right? Not until I get married. Not until I see my grandkids grow up. Not until I see so-and-so saved or come to faith. Now listen, those aren't bad things. Right? Like, it's not wrong to long to be married or to have grandkids or to see somebody. Like, all those are great things. They're good things. But friends, listen, when we say that, we're saying those things are not as great as being in the presence of Almighty God for all eternity, which is not true. If our heart is still longing for the things of this world more than we're longing for the presence of God, we have missed it. That's deficient faith. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying that you don't love the Lord. I'm just saying you don't have a clear picture of what it means to follow after God and to long for his presence. Because no matter how great those things are in this life, none of them touch the Lord. It's similar to the man who came up to Jesus. He said, what do I need to do to follow you? And Jesus is like, come, follow me right now. He's like, okay, hold on, let me go bury my dad first. You remember this? Remember this in the Gospels? What did Jesus say? He says, let the dead bury the dead. You follow me. Which seems super harsh, right? Like, like if you've lost a parent, you're like, that time to like go and grieve, and like, that's important. Like, and Jesus isn't being insensitive here. He's just saying, listen, the things of this world are never as important as following me. Let the dead, the people of this world who aren't following me, deal with the things of this world. You come. I'm the most important thing. It's the same principle. As much as we desire those good things to happen, deeper faith with God and his presence means more. And so the cry of a heart that is walking in deeper faith is always, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We long for that. We long to be in his presence. Deeper faith seeks eternal life over everything in this life. Over everything. Last point this morning. Look at verse 16. It says, But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Point number three, faith longs for eternal life. Faith, deeper faith, longs for eternal life. It says here they desire a better country, a heavenly one. And again, that word desire is so important because it means that they're longing for it. It points to the primary passion of their hearts, the primary thing that they're longing for in this life that they're pursuing after is a better country. And it's better because it's God's country. Or as he calls it here, a city. It's better because it's the permanent abode of God and his people where we will live together forever with the Lord. It's better because it symbolizes perfect fellowship with God where we will know him and we will be known without any sin clouding that relationship. It's better because we will possess God's blessing and his rest in full. In this life, we just get a small taste of it. In that life, we will have it in its fullness, and there will be no more shame, and there will be no more striving. It will just be perfect peace forever with the Lord. 
You see, it's better because it's really about him and not about us. His presence. And so what Hebrews is pressing on is here, do you have a desire for God like that? Do you really desire the Lord? Do you desire to come and worship him and be in his presence with his people every single Sunday? Not twice a month. Not whenever, you know, Saturday night doesn't go too late or what, like, not every time I have an opportunity do I desire to be in God's presence and with his people. Do I desire to meet him on a daily basis? Opening up the word, praying, seeking the Lord, just me and him. Do I have a desire to, to gather together with his people and to grow in community and to grow in, in, in spiritual disciplines and to walk faithfully with the Lord? Do you have a desire to share him with others, to share his goodness, to share his gospel, that others might come to experience the great God that you know and love? If you don't desire God, if you don't desire God and, and his church and his presence, if, if Christianity for you is just an insurance policy to keep you out of hell, you're going to hate heaven. You are. Because heaven isn't about us. It's all about him. If you don't want God now, why would you want him for eternity? It's about the desire of our hearts. Deeper faith desires a better country because it's centered on living in the presence of the God that we love. He says, they desire a better country, and because of that, because of their faith, God is not ashamed to be called their God. <laughs> Which is a wildly shocking statement, right? Like, despite their sin, despite their failures, despite their rebellion, despite their weakness, God still wanted to be their God because of their faith in him. Likewise, Jesus was not ashamed to come to earth and to take on human form, to walk among sinners and to pay for our sin. He was not ashamed to do that for us because he loved us and because of faith. In Matthew 10, 32, he says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. In other words, if you have faith in me and you confess me, I will confess you. I'm not ashamed of you. All of your sin, all your struggle, all your problems, bring them to Jesus. He's not ashamed of that. If your faith is in him. And with that confession, with Jesus confessing us as his own before the Father, with that confession comes all of his approval and all of his love and all of his rewards. He says, I'm not ashamed to be called their God, and even better, he has prepared for them a city. God's city. That's unlike any other. Listen to this description of God's city from Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, 
adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. He goes on, he said, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. That's the city that we're waiting for. That's the home that we're longing for. That's what we're walking towards far beyond anything that this life or this world has to offer. And the best part about that statement is not that that the city, not that we get to go to the city, but that he has already prepared the city. Past tense. It's already done. It's already guaranteed. Like, we're not hoping to earn this. We're not hoping that it gets done in time. This isn't like some, you know, earthly construction project that never is done on time. Like, no, it's done, man. Like, God has already finished it. It is ready for us. It is prepared for his people. And we can walk with the guarantee that those who have faith in Jesus Christ will be at home with the Lord one day. Deeper faith desires the Lord and our eternal life with him. Because deeper faith believes the best is yet to come in eternity. That's what we're looking for, church. And I, I am so pumped about kickoff Sunday next Sunday. But if Jesus comes back tonight, praise the Lord. Like, I'm just, I'm just telling you, like, let's go, right? Like, there's nothing better. The more I grow my relationship with Jesus, the more I long in my heart to just, like, to, to, just, to see him, to be with him. Nothing is greater than that promise. Nothing is greater than the hope of eternal life with him in glory. And so we worship him, and we long for a better day, and we cry out over and over, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Stand with me. Let's pray. Let's sing. Dear Heavenly Father, we bow before you this morning. God, we thank you again for this time. We thank you, Lord, to be in your presence on this Sunday morning, to be with your people, Lord, to be in worship. Lord, we, we, we do. We long for this. There's nothing better than this. You are the great and eternal one who was and is and is to come. And God, we believe that we are made in your image to experience the splendor and the glory of your name. So by faith, Lord, we believe that you will save us. That you will rescue us from this broken world of sin. That you will deliver us safely to our heavenly home. And we long for that. We long for the promise of eternity. Fulfilled in your mighty, awesome presence forever. And so we follow you faithfully until that day comes, singing holy, holy is the Lord. In Christ's name.